Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn, if you would, to uh, Revelation chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the seats uh, in front of you. There are a few on each row. You might reach over and grab one, or you can always use your phone, your mobile device of some kind, and download the Version Bible app. It's totally free, and it has all kinds of great uh, uh, materials on there, lots and lots of different translations of Scripture, a bunch of devotionals, videos, you name it. It's an incredible resource for anybody that is a follower of Jesus or for anybody that is curious about what it means to be a follower of Jesus or just curious about the Bible. It is a great, great tool. And so uh, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 3. As you're turning there, uh, um, uh, we're going to be talking about it and we have been talking about in this series four churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus is sending messages to. Now these are first century churches. These are churches that existed in the very first century. Uh, They uh, are relatively young churches, and even the early church had problems. Have you ever been to a church with problems? Raise your hands. All right, if you've ever been here, you've been to a church with problems. So every one of you today can say, I've been to a church with problems, because churches are made up of people, and people are broken, and uh, usually the pastor's the most broken among them, and uh, the biggest mess of all of them. I uh, met somebody today and told him I was the chief troublemaker uh, here at the church, and uh, you know, that's, that's, that we're, we're messed up. We blow it. We make mistakes. We, we, we uh, don't always act like Christians. <gasps> Isn't that terrible? I mean, we're followers of Jesus. We're supposed to be above reproach, and yet we still blow it. And uh, it's comforting to me that this is nothing new. This has been going on since the first century. The first people that saw Jesus with their own eyes were blowing it. That gives me hope. Does it give you hope? It gives me some. Uh, and uh, so anyway, we're, we're going to be looking at what the Lord Jesus has said to these four churches. Today, we're going to be looking uh, specifically at a message that he ch- sent to uh, the church at Sardis. But before we do that, uh, I just want to remind you that spiritual growth, which is really at the heart of this series, it's, it's really what spiritual growth is all about. Spiritual growth is always about your next step. If you want to grow to become the person Jesus intends you to be, then you need to take the next step. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, you know, I know who Jesus intends me to be, this wonderful, perfect person that never blows it and stubs his toe in the middle of the night and says, thank you, Jesus, for that trial, you know, and um, uh, gets in a car accident, and I praise the Lord. Yeah, does anybody know, actually know anybody like that? Uh, it, it, no, of course not, right? Life is really difficult, but we, we have this picture in our heads that Jesus wants us to be holy as he is holy, and that sometimes seems unattainable. And it seems like, well, that's too big a task. I can't ever hit that, so I'm just not going to try. And we give up. But the first question, if you're one of those people that kind of feels stuck in your spiritual life, like you feel like you can never become what God wants you to be, let me ask you this question. Are you really happy with who you are right now? Are you totally content with how great and awesome and perfectly you have everything figured out right now? Anybody? No, right? We are messed up. We blow it. And so spiritual growth, the end all is yes, 
what the Bible calls sanctification, being perfect in Christ, never blowing it again. But that's not going to happen until you finally die on or with Jesus. Between now and then, your responsibility is not to be absolutely flawless. Your responsibility is to take the next step of obedience. Don't think about what you got to be 10 years from now, 15 years, 50 years from now. Think about what you need to be 20 seconds from now. Lord, what's my next step? And oftentimes, we're so afraid to take that next step that then we don't take the one after that, and we don't take the one after that, and we don't take the one after that. And 15 years down the road, we look at our lives, and we're like, I'm still the same pathetic mess I was, and I haven't grown, I haven't changed. Well, guess whose fault it is? It's our own for not taking that next step. So what are some of the steps that we need to take? Well, there are six habits in our lives that we've been covering in this series, and we talk a lot about in our church. Spiritual growth is not this um, mystical thing where if you learn all this particular stuff, then somehow you're spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity is something that comes over time, and it happens with habits. And these habits are these six things. Attend church weekly. Be involved in a church. Why? Because it's so necessary for us. We need it. We need to learn from God's word. We need to be around other believers so we can support each other and strengthen each other and encourage each other. Only 32% of American Christians go to church regularly. Less than a third. You want to grow spiritually? Serve in the church. Find a place to volunteer. Because when you serve, you grow, you change. The Lord does something in you as you are serving people. And especially when you serve somebody, you greet somebody that comes to church for the first time at the door. So glad that you're here. And then you see that that person gives their life to Christ. You get to go, holy smokes, I played a part in that. I served and I saw them change. You serve in kids ministry and see these little kids, the lights come on and they start to understand the truth about Jesus. And you're like, oh man, I got to be a part of that. That is so amazing. God is so stinking cool sometimes. When you start serving, you just, you see him move in ways that you wouldn't see if you were just not serving and just soaking it all in. But only 29% of American Christians serve in their church. Participating in a small group, being involved in some kind of a smaller biblical community where there are people who know your name. It's, it's the cheers factor. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Whether you're in a big church or a small church, if you're not in a small group, it's not small enough. You need to be involved in a group of people that know who you are, that know your habits, that know your hangups, and love you anyway. And they're willing to accept you as you are, but... They love you too much to leave you that way, and they want to encourage you and stretch you and push you, and they need you to encourage them and stretch them and push them, but only 17% of American Christians are involved in some kind of a small group, Bible study, prayer group, intimate uh, uh, fellowship of people who are holding each other accountable and supporting each other. You want to grow in your faith? Here's a no-brainer. Read the Bible and pray every day. And yet only 6% of American Christians read the Bible every day. And another 6% of American Christians say they never read the Bible on their own at all. You want to grow in your faith? You want to become who God wants you to be? Take the step of sharing your faith. 
Tell somebody, I'm a Christian. I don't care if you know it. I'm a follower of Jesus. Can I talk to you about that? That's a scary conversation to have sometimes because people in our culture, well, that automatically means you're some kind of a bigot. You're judgmental. All I said was I was a Christian. And they make all kinds of horrible assumptions about you. Isn't that sad? Well, let's talk about that. Say, what makes you think Christians are so judgmental? Don't be aggressive and mean. Just say, I want to understand what makes you think that. Do you think I'm really that way? Let me tell you why I'm a Christian. It's not about religion. It's not about this. It's about Jesus. I'm a messed up person. I'm not judgmental. I'm a mess. But Jesus is helping fix me. And that's what this is all about. Wouldn't you like somebody to help fix you? Not because you're as messed up as I am. I mean, obviously, I'm a bigger mess than you are, but, right? But none of us are happy with where we're at. Let's let Jesus take us from where we are to where we need to be. Introduce them to Christ. Share your faith with people. But only 5% of American Christians will ever reproduce another Christian. Guys, you know what that means? Christianity is going to be extinct in America if we don't do something. We've got to act. Give and tithe consistently. Oh, wow. Now you're talking about money, Alan. You're, ooh, you're encroaching on my life now. Well, Jesus says, where your money goes, there your heart goes. If your money's going to God, it's proof that your heart belongs to him. When we invest in the things that God wants us to invest in, suddenly we, we start to gain a keen interest in those things. Our heart goes there too, and we want to see how's this investment paying off. We tell people all the time, if you give to Invictus Church, what you're giving to is seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single week, well, almost every single week in this room, somebody raises their hand and says, yes, I want to give my life to Christ Jesus. That's what you give to. We are giving to changing eternities. If you do these six things consistently, don't you think you'll be pretty different after a while? It's not going to be overnight. You give, do all six of these things today, you're not going to be much different tomorrow. But if you do all six of these things consistently over the next 15 years, you're going to look back on your life and go, wow, the Lord has dramatically changed me. See, it's about the long haul, but it's not always about picturing the end. It's about picturing the next step. You can't ever get to the end. You can't ever see the realization of the long haul if you don't take the next step. So in this series, we're talking about taking the next step. What's the next step that God wants you to take in your life? Until you take it, you're going to stay stuck. So whatever the Lord is speaking to you today, obey him. Take the next step. Begin that journey of growth. Have you ever been to a funeral of somebody that wasted their life? <laughs> kind of sad. I, I did a funeral a number of years ago, and um, a guy at my church called me up, and, hey, my dad passed away. I haven't, really haven't spoken to him in about 20 years. He kind of distanced, distanced himself from everybody in the family, and uh, he just passed away. We need somebody to do his funeral. And uh, so I agreed, and... We get the family together, and they said, well, in his will, he asked that people would stand up at the funeral and tell stories about him. And um, for the record, that might be a mistake. 
Just saying. Because what if they tell the truth, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, th- this was the saddest funeral I've ever been to because it was in a, uh, it was outdoors in a, uh, a cemetery that was right next to a CarMax. And only two people got up to talk at this funeral. One of them was the son because he felt like, well, I need to say something. And the best thing that he could say about his dad was this. Well, it's appropriate, I guess, that he's being buried in the shadow of CarMax because he loved cars. Didn't say anything about his love for his family, about how the man had changed his world. The second person that got up was his bartender. And his bartender said the nicest things. And it was this. He treated us at the bar like family. And he always paid his tab. Isn't that sad? That his life boiled down to cars and paying his beer tab and being nicer to people at a bar than his own family? Isn't that tragic? Have you ever known somebody that was wasting their life? We we probably all have somebody in our mind right now, but think about other people. Maybe you are one of those people who are wasting their lives, and you say, well, what do you mean? Maybe you're wasting your lives in some of these ways. Maybe, maybe, Maybe you're wasting your life on drugs or alcohol or some other kind of addiction. Maybe you're wasting your life on sex, hoping, or hopping from one relationship to another and, and hoping that one of those is finally going to give you satisfaction, but all you feel is guilt afterwards. Maybe you're wasting your life chasing after money, career opportunities, jobs, promotions. Maybe you're wasting your life reading comic books or collecting Star Wars toys like I do. Maybe you're wasting your life playing golf, working on your hobby, obsessing over a sports team, watching TV, binging on Netflix, reading uh, your favorite novels over and over and over again, building the perfect home theater, having the perfect lawn, keeping the perfect house. You see, the sad fact is this. You might say, oh, man, am I really wasting my life if I'm doing those things? Here's the sad fact. We spend, when we spend most of our time on temporary things, we are wasting our lives. Temporary things just don't last. Here's where Jesus speaks to the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to read, read verses 1 through 2. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. Now wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is at the point of death. Your deeds are far from right in the sight of God. It's kind of a strange message to the church at Sardis. We, we don't really have a whole lot of cultural or historical context about the church of Sardis. So it's hard for, us, hard for us to actually know what Jesus was talking about when he said things like, you are dead. Now, obviously, he was speaking with something called hyperbole. Uh, you learned about this in school and you maybe forgot about it. But hyperbole is when you speak with exaggeration. And so you're like, they are the best tacos in the world, right? That's hyperbole. You're exaggerating. It was better than anything I've eaten in my entire life, right? Or, you know, that roller coaster was the most exciting thing I've ever been on ever. Uh, Or when you're mad at somebody and you tell them, you don't ever call me 
Well, then why do they have your, their num- your number saved in their phone? They must call you at some point, right? You're speaking with hyperbole. You're exaggerating. You're in a fight with your spouse. You always, you're yelling at your kids. You never do the dishes. I just did them last night. It was only three, but it was three dishes, mom. We speak with hyperbole all the time. It's exaggerating to, making, to make some kind of a point. And so Jesus was obviously not speaking to dead people here. But he's saying figuratively, it's like you're dead. He's making a point. And we know that it is their deeds that, that were tied to this. It's their deeds that were somehow tied to this. Um, or the way that they were living, in other words. Now, I believe what Jesus is saying to the church at Sardis here had, it means that Jesus was saying, you have the appearance of being like mature Christians, but your actions say differently. You look like mature Christians on the outside, but internally, you haven't really grown all that much. You haven't taken the next one step. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in James 2, verse 20, you foolish person, you must be shown that faith that does nothing, or must you be shown that faith that does nothing is worth nothing? He's saying to people, you think you're spiritually mature, but you're not because you're not living it out. You're not acting it out. You may know everything about the history of the Old Testament, but you're still kind of a jerk. It means you haven't grown much. You may know a lot, but you haven't changed. Your deeds show what you really are like. I think the church at Sardis was pretty indistinguishable from the world. And a lot of times, we as American Christians are guilty of this. We post comments online uh, uh, about Jesus. And we let our thoughts be known about morality and and politics. We, We have Christian bumper stickers on our cars. We go to church every week. But when we get right down to it, we still live like everybody else. We still focus our lives on temporary things. Retirement is more important than sharing our faith. Getting the next raise is more important than going on mission. Reaching people for Christ, something that lasts for eternity, is less important to us than whatever we've got planned this evening, this afternoon, this weekend. When it comes right down to it, a lot of times, Christians, we're just not that different from the world. Maybe we don't cuss, and we don't chew, we don't smoke, we don't drink, and we don't go with girls that do. But we're still really no different than, the, than everybody around us we got a lot of do's and don'ts that we do or don't. But we're not that much different when you really get down to the meat of who we are. Last week we talked about a concept. We talked about becoming traitors. Not traitors like somebody who stabs somebody in the back, but trading. Trading in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ. Now, this does not mean that having stuff and having a nice house and having a good job is bad. That's not intrinsically evil. God has blessed us with those things. But we should use them for the cause of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 7, 31 through 32 says this, those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we see it will soon pass away 
I want you to be free from the concerns of life. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To be free of the concerns of this life? When we recognize everything in this world is temporary and I don't own any of it, I'm just a manager of all of it, suddenly there's a whole lot less stress. It's not mine, it's his. I'm going to use this God's way instead of my ways. Let's talk about the mindset of a trader. If you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go online and listen to it. I think it'll really spark some things in you. But today, I want to continue this talking about what are traders like. Well, uh, four things that dominate the trader's thinking. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, write it down. Traders think about the mission more than they think about their excuses. Well, I only speak English. I don't have anything to offer. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't know what to say. People might not listen to me. People might reject me. Insert your excuse here. What excuse do you have for not taking whatever the next step is that Jesus is calling you to take? If you become a traitor, you will be more concerned with the mission than your excuse. And you'll say, you know what? My son's football coach is right. No explanations, no excuses. Just get up and go. Just get up and do. Just obey what you already know. Jesus said these words in a prayer on the last night before he uh, was betrayed. John 17, 18. In the same way, God, that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. He's talking about his followers. Just as Jesus was on mission, so we must be on mission every second of our lives. If you let your excuse get the best of you, given mission on this earth, you will have wasted your life. Let me say that again. If you let your excesses or excuses get the best of you and fulfill your God-given mission on earth, then you have wasted your life. Don't waste your life. In the book of Acts, the apostle Paul said this, Acts 20, 24, but my life is worth how much? Let's try that again. How much is Paul's life worth? Nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul is saying my life is worthless unless I'm using it to reach the world for Christ. The first thing that dominates a trader's thinking is the mission. They think about the mission more than their excuses. Second one is this, traders think about the world more than their world. They think about the world more than their world. Now, what I'm talking about here is not the world in the, uh, the, the, the sense of, you know, the Bible frequently talks about the world around us and calls it the world and that we should be not of this world. We should be about uh, the, the kingdom of heaven and that kind of thing. In this context, I'm not talking about that version of the world. I'm talking about the world as a whole. You know the world that is talking about, uh, or that is talked about in John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. The world. Traders think about the world the way God thinks about the world. 
It is treasured. It is loved by God, and it needs saving. They think about the world more than their world. Now, it's normal for human beings to think small. We, we frequently get tunnel vision. We're kind of like horses when they, you put blinders on. We can just see what's right in front of us. We have a hard time seeing a bigger picture. We have a hard time putting ourselves in other people's shoes and trying to imagine uh, what they must be feeling about the things that we say and do. And, and we, we tend to just see things from our perspective. We tend to think too small. We tend to think about my family, my street, my town, But our vision as followers of Jesus, that small vision has to be traded in for a big vision, one that is bigger than just my family, my street, my town. It's a vision for the whole world. Colossians 1.6, the Apostle Paul says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives. This is why we as a church... Think about what goes on outside of our church. At Invictus Church, the most important things that happen are not here on Sunday mornings. It's what happens in our lives when we're out there as soon as we leave the building and before we come back. What are we like in the world? Are we doing our best to infect it and impact it for Jesus? The third thing that dominates a trader's thinking is traders think about people more than things. I have to tell you, man, I struggle with this. I like stuff. I love things. I'm a collector. I collect Star Wars toys and nerd memorabilia. If you go in my office, I've got an Iron Man helmet, a Boba Fett helmet, and a a Stormtrooper helmet. I've got a statue of a Jawa. I've got a statue of Wolverine. I've got um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on my shelf. I've got some Transformers. Uh, I've I've got uh, some Marvel superheroes. I've got all kinds of geek stuff in there. And it's weird because they're all on shelves surrounded by books about Jesus and church and stuff. It's kind of an odd mix. But uh, I've got lightsabers hanging on my wall that I built. Yeah, I'm that big a geek. I build my own lightsabers. I love stuff. I really struggle with this. It's hard for me to sometimes think about people. Yesterday, I went down to the Comic Expo with our worship leader, Ryan. And I found myself at one moment in awe of the number of people walking around that were super excited about comics and movies and special effects and cosplay, but they didn't know Jesus. And it just struck me. I mean, there I am in the the, the merchant hall where everybody's selling all kinds of stuff and I'm looking at cool toys and collectibles and stuff like that. I'm thinking about me, me, me. What, what, oh, I'd like to get that. I'd like to get that. And then I looked up and I just saw this swath of people walking towards me and all I could see was how they desperately need Jesus. And I was so convicted. I came here for me. I need to be here for them. The reason I exist in this world is to serve them. I want to say something that a lot of church people sometimes get offended by. The world or the, the church does not exist for the church. The church exists for the world. 
Now, some people get offended by that because they're like, well, I go to my church because I want people that are going to minister to me and take care of me. Well, that's sweet and nice and everything. That's a happy byproduct of church. What does your body exist for? Do your cells exist in this world just to make your other cells feel good? If that's the whole purpose of your life, that's pretty sad. God put you here for a reason. Your cells heal each other and, and fix the sickness that's in you and, and, and push you to get out of bed and to exercise and to eat right and to do all the things necessary to live because God put you here for a reason that was so much more than just making sure that all your cells are working properly. When we have a church that is so inwardly focused that is worried more about what Sister Bertha thinks about the color of the carpet, then they are worried about the people across the street who don't know Christ. That is sick and dysfunctional, folks. We must be about getting outside of ourselves. We exist to reach a world that desperately needs Jesus. Traders think about people more than things. 2 Peter 3, 9. God does not want anyone to be lost, but wants all people to change their hearts and lives. Jesus didn't die for stuff. Jesus died for people. One of the most misunderstood questions or statements that Jesus ever made was this in Luke 16, 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, some people who read that only in the New Testament are like, man, Jesus says some weird stuff. He says, you got to buy friends and then you're going to get into heaven. That's not at all what this verse is saying. When you read it in the context of the whole scripture, what Jesus is communicating to us is this. Use the worldly stuff that you have to invest in people so that then you can invite them to Christ and let Jesus change their lives. And then when you get to heaven, you'll be welcomed there by a line of people saying, thank you for giving to what God wanted you to give to. Thank you for sacrificing so that I could be here. Let me ask you a question. Who's going to be in heaven because of you? When you get there, is there going to be a reception line of people saying, if you hadn't done X, I wouldn't be here. I sure hope so. What a, an awkward moment that's going to be for a lot of people who gave their lives to Christ and they found salvation in Jesus, but they never did anything to reach other people. They're going to get to heaven. They're going to be like, man, this is awesome. It's heaven. And then they're going to look around and they're going to be like, but wow, everybody that God put in my path to reach, they're somewhere else. What a sad moment that will be. Jesus didn't mean buying friends. What Jesus meant was this. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. What you have here in this world, when you invest it in the kingdom of God, it is an investment that yields eternal Rewards, eternal returns. And you don't even have to look it up in the Wall Street Journal ever. You don't have to watch any of your stock apps or websites. 
I'm investing in something that impacts people forever. Serving Jesus is not the opportunity of a lifetime. I want you to understand this. Serving Jesus is the opportunity beyond your lifetime. When you follow him, when you do everything, when you live your life so that more people will come to know Christ, that's the opportunity beyond your lifetime. It leaves a legacy that will far outlast you and outlive you. Traders think about people more than they think about things. The fourth, things that, fourth thing that dominates traders' thinking is this. Write it down. Traders think about others more than themselves. Don't be selfish, Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You want to know one of the reasons that Christians are frequently seen as negative and judgmental? It's because sometimes we do have a look down our nose at others mentality. Because when they don't agree with us or when they don't see things from the perspective that we feel like the Lord has given us, we think, they're just so clueless. And that does some kind of, sometimes kind of leach out in the way that we talk to people. And we can come across as snobs. We've got to be careful. We have to be careful because... We have to think of them when somebody's getting on your nerves about their posts on Facebook that you completely disagree with. What does Apostle Paul say here? Be humble thinking of them as better than yourself. What we tend to do is we think, I'm better than that person. I don't have their screwed up political views. I don't have their dysfunctions, I don't have their problems, I don't have their family issues, I don't have their clueless brain. And we get kind of high and mighty about what we think. We should be humble and consider even those that we strongly and completely disagree with as better than ourselves. Let me put it in some really, really painfully uncomfortable context for you. The people at the gay pride parade. Scripture says we are to think of them as better than ourselves. But when we see pictures of a gay pride parade, we go, oh. I'm not saying we agree with them. I'm saying we love, love, Love. If it weren't for the grace of God, you might be in that parade. Do you think of people like that as better than yourself? Boy, whew. anybody else feel like, man, the knife just got stuck right there and twisted. Man, that, that hurts. It hurts when I think about it in my own life because I can have a pretty superior attitude. But I'm to humble myself. 
in your seat today when you came in. There's a little invite card. We have those near all of the exits and on a little table um, as you're uh, going out of the lobby. And uh, those cards have on the front an invitation to Invictus Church and on the back an invitation for people to go to a website. Um, and uh, uh, it, you just tell them, man, go check out this website. And it's got answers to all kinds of life's tough questions. It's a really great thing. I encourage you to go check this out. And I would love for you to come to my church. You know, a lot of people that you invite to church are going to say, no, church isn't my thing. Well, that's okay. Look at the back of this website or back of this card. Go to this website. Check it out, truelife.org. And there's all kinds of stuff about depression, about um, creation, about science, about uh, religions, you know, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and what do they believe and atheism and uh, all kinds of different anxiety, all kinds of topics that are relevant to today's life. There's short videos that talk about those things. Man, if you've got any of those issues or questions, go check them out. And I have never once given away one of those cards where somebody was like, and I'll say, oh, that's kind of cool, thanks. Every time. There's a guy in our church named Tip Scalf. We've got a video of him that I'm going to play, not not today because I didn't have time this week to get it all put together, but uh, we are going to be using that in the near future. But uh, Tip gets real excited about these little cards, and he told me, I always have a stack of these, and every time I go to a restaurant, I leave it with the tip. I hope it's a good tip. Your name's Tip, by the way. So, um, what a simple way to share the gospel. What a simple way to think others, to think about others rather than just thinking about yourself. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Are people who don't even know God praising God for how great you are to them? Are they feeling that way about me? Wow. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. When we have conversations with people about our faith, we're to be humble, we're to think about them as better than ourselves, and we're to handle it with gentleness and respect. It breaks my heart when I see Christians yelling across a line where there's people protesting something and the people protesting are yelling and then the other person is yelling about God and country and, you know, you're trying to destroy our values. And that's not with love and respect and gentleness and humility. It's, it makes us look bad, church. Don't get sucked into the drama. Let me wrap it up with this. When you fully comprehend that there is more to this life than just the here and now, you'll begin to live differently. When you fully comprehend that there is more to life than just the here and now, you'll begin to live differently. Mark 8.35, only those who throw away their lives for my sake, Jesus says, and for the sake of the good news, will ever know what it means to really live. That's from the Living Bible. But the Alan Danielson version says it this way. 
only those who trade the lives they have for the ones God wants them to have ever truly live. Are you willing to trade the life that you have now by taking the next one step in the journey of gaining the life that God wants you to have? We've talked about the six habits of spiritual growth in this series, attending church every week, serving in the church, participating in a small group, reading the Bible daily and praying and sharing your faith and giving consistently to the causes of Christ. Now, today we mostly address number five, reaching the world for Christ. But you know what? Living out all six of those contributes to number five. Everything that we do as Christians, everything, if we are truly following Jesus as his disciples, is about reaching people for Christ and leading them to become fully devoted to him. That is the mission of Invictus Church. It is to reach people for Christ and lead them to be fully devoted to him. And so everything that we do at Invictus Church is geared towards that, is driven towards that, is aimed at reaching people who don't know Christ and helping them take the steps to be radically changed and to know him well. What are you willing to trade so that people will come to know him? What's the next step that God is putting on your heart to take? Today, 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 take the step. Don't waste another minute on temporary things that don't matter. Invest everything in your life on what truly matters. God so loved the world. Who is going to be in heaven because of you? Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.